Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. It's late on Tuesday. It's like 9.30. The Bucks-Hawks game is at halftime. I wanted to jump on and record now. So, with this Bucks-Hawks game, Trey Young's out. Uh, Trey Young was ruled out before the game started with a deep bone bruise. And somehow, the Hawks find themselves up by double digits at halftime. No idea how that's happening. And it's one of those things where sports is kind of fickle like that. You see an injury like that to Trey Young and you immediately think, well, this game is a wrap. Bucks are going to go up 3-1 and the series is going to come to a close in like five, maybe six games. Middleton's doing what Middleton does. And we've seen this on and off in the two Bucks wins. Middleton has been very good, especially in game three. He went off. Uh, he's shooting terrible. He's, and we saw it happen in the first round. We saw it happen uh, against the Hawks now already. He's having one of those games where he shoots like crap. He's 3 of 10, 0 of 4 from 3, just 8 points. Uh, Giannis isn't shooting very well either. No one on the team, aside from P.J. Tucker, is shooting well. For the Bucks, PJ Tucker is three of four, two two of three from three points. Uh, Giannis is three of seven. Middleton's three of ten. Lopez is one of three. Holiday's two of seven. Portis is one of four. Forbes is one of four. No one's shooting well in the first half. Uh, and by the time you listen to this, the results could have completely changed, and the Bucks could end up winning the game. And that's all well and good. But as of right now. From where I'm speaking in present time, the Bucks aren't playing well, and it's essentially the same story when they don't play well, and it's that they don't hit their shots. Obviously, yeah, if you don't hit your shots for any team, you're not going to win. But the Bucks have a specific knack for everyone seeming to get cold at the same time, or it's either everyone's hot or everyone's cold. That's what it feels like with the Bucks, and it's very weird. But right now is. I don't know whether they came into it with their guard down because Trey Young's out and they think maybe it'll be a walk in the park. It hasn't been in the first half. So the Bucks got to try and figure out how to turn it around. And if they do, they get a commanding 3-1 lead. If they don't, series tied at two. Who knows how long it goes. As for the other series, which is uh, what I really want to talk about right now, Suns-Clippers. Clippers won... Game five, uh, the series is at 3-2 now. So the Clippers have always had their back against the wall. Obviously, they were down 0-2 in the first round, 0-2 in the second round, and they were down 0-2 in this round as well. They won four straight against the Jazz. They won seven against the Mavericks. Uh, So they have battled adversity. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. Paul George has been playing great. Uh, He's gotten some shit already against the Suns because he did miss two clutch free throws. There was a whole controversial call, which I'm going to tease it here, but we we need to definitely talk about that, Uh, and I will in a minute. But the ball went off, got poked out of Devin Booker's hand by Patrick Beverly. They went to replay, and they abused replay, looked at it, balls out on Booker. He's the last person that touched it. Clippers ball. Game should be over. Paul George misses both both free throws. 
So the Suns go right back and the, the game goes right back into the position, the position it was in before the out-of-bounds call, except with a few seconds left. A crazy alley-oop pass to DeAndre Ayton, game over. Comes back, Suns go up 3-1 for that, obviously a huge win for them. Comes back in game five, him and Marcus Morris have an incredible game. Morris had 22 on 9-16 shooting. Paul George, 41-13-6 on 15 of 20 shooting. Even DeMarcus Cousins in 11 minutes had, was 7 of 12, 15 points off the bench. Uh, so the, the Clippers played incredibly well uh, in a must-win game, of course. They were down 3-1. So the Clippers have been in that position before. This is not the mantra of the Clippers. It's always been... They were blowing the lead. They weren't good. Now, this postseason has been the opposite. They have been fighting back, trailing in series the entire playoffs. Uh, and they have proven that they can rattle off multiple wins in a row when they're facing either their back against the wall or against elimination. So, I would definitely not count them out. Uh, I think a f only a fool would do that. But I do like the Suns' chances, of course. Um, it's been very difficult to beat them two games in a row. So I actually don't think anyone has beat them two games in a row in this playoffs. Because they beat the Lakers won two games. No, they weren't back to back. Swept the Nuggets. And now the Clippers, of course, didn't haven't won two games in a row. So it's it's hard to do that against the Suns. Um, I suspect the Suns close this out in six. That's my prediction. Last week, I titled the episode Suns in 4. That's when they were up 2-0. Didn't work out. But regardless, the Suns are in a great position. I think they close out in 6. And that's no disrespect to the Clippers. Like, 6 games, Western Conference Finals, you're missing your best player. Like, this, who knows what this series looks like if Kawhi Leonard is playing. Because the Clippers are playing really, really well. They're getting great, like, Reggie Jackson has earned himself so much damn money this offseason. He has played unbelievable basketball. Terrence Mann has been incredible. Marcus Morris is finally coming alive after having an abysmal start to his postseason. Um, DeMarcus Cousins even had valuable minutes off the bench. So the team is really running really well. Honestly, they're probably playing the best they have all postseason, and that's without Kawhi Leonard. And I don't necessarily think that's a, uh, that's a coincidence. Paul George is a weird person. He's, he's an enigma, man. He, he's a, a very difficult basketball player to kind of take, get a, get a grasp of. He, to me, when I see him play, Obviously, I don't know what goes on inside his head, but what it looks like, given his performances with his body language and how he interacts with everyone, post-game comments, what have you, it seems like when Kawhi's on the court, Paul George, I don't know if it's, he tries to one-up Kawhi Leonard or just tries to match what Kawhi Leonard is doing on the court, but it always seems like PG 
plays outside of his comfort zone when Kawhi is on the court. This entire playoffs, yes, he's had some, uh, well, this entire series, I should say. Yes, Paul George has had his bumps, the two missed free throws, bad shooting performances, a couple of those games. That's, that has happened, for sure. But then you have games, the two Clipper wins, he's been phenomenal. And I'm not saying he's just like completely inconsistent, but he plays within himself when it's just him out there. That I, I, that's literally when he is at his best. And I really don't think that's a coincidence. Even when Kawhi is healthy and they platoon each one of them on the court in like the second and third quarter, um, I, I think he plays best when he's by himself. When he's the guy... I think the conf I don't know if it's a confidence issue, but it might be like it, it might be a mental thing where it's, you know, his it's like, OK, I'm, I'm the guy. My teammates are relying on me. I got this. Whereas when Kawhi's on the court, maybe he doesn't have that same feeling, but he's been fantastic. Like, I, I really feel good for Paul George. A part of me wants the Clippers to win to see Paul George in the finals and to get Paul George in the finals. Um, I don't really care about Kawhi Leonard. I, I like Kawhi. I, I'm a Spurs guy. I like the Spurs. I respect the Spurs a bunch. Um, Kawhi, when he was on the Spurs, loved him. When he was on the Raptors, that was great too. Great story. Him with the Clippers now. He joined, gets his like quote unquote super team with Paul George. I was kind of indifferent to the Clippers. Um, it is what it is. I don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I hate them. I really don't. But. I definitely did at some point, but now it's like, I feel like it's a little different, especially because they got embarrassed in the postseason last year. That kind of made everything go away as far as, you know, I wanted them to lose. And then they lost in such dramatic fashion. All my wishes came true. So now I'm kind of indifferent to them. But I do have a soft spot, soft spot for Paul George. That, that, that's definitely true. Um... You know, I, I loved him when he was on Indiana, like him being the guy in Indiana going one-on-one -on -one against LeBron James and the Miami Heat and, and battling them uh, with the Indiana Pacers. That was a lot of fun to watch, and I got a whole lot of respect for him, and a lot of people crowned him like the next, next up, right? He was going to be like the next superstar in the NBA, and it kind of never happened. Um, he kind of just stayed in the same tier his entire career, where I, which is where I think he is now, um, and I rank Paul George, he's a top 15 player, no doubt about it. Uh, he's probably closer to, to 13 to 15 than top 10, you know? But, you know, that's, that's no disrespect. Like, that's obviously a, a great accomplishment. He's an all-NBA caliber player, uh, all-defensive caliber player, and he's had some MVP campaigns as well. So he he's a great player and I love watching him play. Uh just you know, when you dub yourself playoff P, it's it's hard to take you seriously from that point on. And I think that's pretty much where a majority of America went. There's no doubt in my mind had he not dubbed himself playoff P None of this would be happening. None of the slander would be there. I, I think people actually would really be more sympathetic to Paul George and would be more willing to 
want him to win a championship. Uh, but the the playoff P thing, man, set him back a long, long, long time. Because it was bad. It was bad, man. Like, you don't call yourself playoff P. You don't give yourself a nickname. Like, the only one who can do that is Kobe Bryant. But his was the Black Mamba, which is a cool nickname. Like, it's not something cheesy like playoff P. Like, oh, he's going into a new mode, you know? Playoff P time. It's it's weird, man. It's really weird. Um, you can even say Kobe giving himself the name Black Mamba was weird. But it worked, and it fit, and he could back it up. So that's why it was fine. Paul George dubbing himself Playoff P and then immediately getting bounced in, like, the first round three years in a row was not a good look for him. And then, of course, him joining up. That was when he was with uh, Oklahoma City. So two years in a row they bound, they got bounced in the first round. Um, he gets shipped off to... Los Angeles to join Kawhi, who signed there. And now suddenly, not only do you have this whole playoff P choking in the playoffs on your back, but now you have super high expectations going to Los Angeles with, uh, you know, a top, another top 10 player in the NBA. And you're expected to win. You have this collapse. It's embarrassing. But now I think Paul George is doing a good job of repairing his reputation i really do um i certainly have gained a lot of respect for him not even before Kawhi leonard was out even before that i was like you know paul george is balling out he's playing well i i wouldn't i, I wouldn't maybe two losses in the playoffs the two missed free throws and probably one of his other like really shitty shooting performances i would pin on him being the sole reason why they lost. Uh, and that's only in the Suns series. So in, in that Suns series, there were a couple of controversial calls that I want to talk about. Specifically the instant replays. You guys probably know exactly what I'm re referencing. Um, the first one coming in Game 2, I believe it was. Might have been Game 3. Uh, they both ended in Suns wins. It was either that, or game, and one was game five. So, regardless, the first one being, I mentioned it earlier, uh, Patrick Beverly stripping Devin Booker. Normally, nine times out of ten, without replay. I mean, ten times out of ten, without replay. That's Suns ball. They review it, slow it down, frame by frame. Last touch by Booker off his fingertips as it goes out of bounds, clipper ball. Is that the right call? Technically, yes. Technically, yes, it is. Because um, when you slow it down, Patrick Beverly pokes the ball, and Devin Booker's hand extends, and as the ball rolls off, it goes off his fingertips. He is the last one to touch it. Out of bounds. Clipper ball. And if you look at 10 of those, in real time, you'll say it was off the person who poked it. But when you slow it down, it's always going to be off the person who is originally controlling the ball. In this case, Devin Booker. That always, that happens. That literally always happens. It happened 
And they even exposed this, you know, replay and abused replay in the national championship game. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. Uh, I think it was Virginia and Tech, right? Virginia, uh, Texas Tech. Jared Culver, that, that whole season. It happened there. Same thing. You get stripped. Ball goes out of bounds. You re- you, when you review it and you go frame by frame, that's the result you're going to get 10 times out of 10. It's not the right call, though. In my opinion, like you have to change the rule because if I'm dribbling the ball and a guy pokes it out and I don't even try to maintain possession, like it's different if Patrick Beverly pokes that ball to Devin Booker, he tries to take a dribble to regain possession and dribbles it out of bounds. Then it's off Devin Booker. But if he's mid dribble and the ball gets poked out and he can't react to even try and save the ball or doesn't even try to react to save the ball and you're going to say it's out on him that's that is such like a cheat code and a cheap trick that is honestly I'm surprised it's not exploited more so that happens people go nuts some people are like wow this is a complete and utter useless rule it it's ruining the game like you can't use replay for that that's not what it's intended for which who I agree with and then there's the other ones who are like that's the right call uh, obviously if you're a Clippers fan and you're a Suns fan you know what side you're on and also this happens again I believe it's in game four same exact scenario except it's campaign who gets stripped this time S- same thing fourth quarter uh, usually, you know, when it gets that, I forget how ex- exactly how much time was on the clock, but when it gets that late, they'll review pretty much everything. They don't review it. The same exact scenario, sideline, one dribble, mid dribble, stripped, out of bounds. They call it son's ball and they don't review it. So my question here is, do they not review it because they truly believe that it was it was stripped and it wasn't off campaign or because they knew that the rule was stupid and exploited and they were told not to review stripped ball plays like that because if you looked at the replay which the television was showing the replay clearly shows that the ball is out on campaign and as stupid as it is like if that's the rule that's the rule Now, I personally am happy that that didn't get reviewed because it would have been overturned and it would have been stupid again, and it would have been a joke. But here we are now. It's it's three to two Suns over the Clippers, and who knows? This series might be tied. Clippers might be ahead if they get that call. Of course, in the last one with the first time with Devin Booker being stripped. Paul George missed the two ensuing free throws, so Ball indeed does not lie, as we know. Uh, so it's that rule is really dumb, and I needed to talk about it because it's it's frustrating to me that replay is used for that effect. It's kind of like when you're in the first inning of a baseball game, and the third out is recorded, but the manager challenges if the runner was safe at first. Like, that shit pisses me off to no end. It, it, it's so unnecessary. It's not what instant replay is used for. 
and it, it's just it slows the game down where baseball already has a pace of play issue that people complain about that it's too slow it's too boring and now you're going to add in long replay reviews now granted MLB replays aren't as long as NBA replays but it's still annoying nonetheless but the NBA has got to figure that out uh they got to either tweak that rule so it's like if you don't attempt to maintain possession. Even then, it's subjective. So I, I don't even know. I, I think it's just, you just got to know basketball. Like, really, I, I think it just comes down to judgment for the refs. Um, you you got you to gotta have a judgment call on that. Like, if, if you're seeing a guy dribbling and someone clearly pokes it out and there's no attempt from the original ball handler to maintain possession or try and get the ball back and like dribble it and then they dribble it out of bounds if that's not the case and I'm in a hesitation move or something like that and someone strips the ball out from uh me in this hypothetical situation and I don't try and go after the ball it's out on them they stripped it from me if my fingertips were on the ball last as they always will be make no mistake about it if you are dribbling the ball and someone strips you the ball is always going to be out on you. It's always going to be on your fingertips last. That's just how it works. That's dumb. I should not be penalized for that. For a defender, honestly, you're making a good basketball play. You're stripping me of the ball. But if I'm not attempting to go after it, then that's not fair. That's stupid. That really is just a dumb rule. So they either have to change it somehow or just straight up say it's, it's a, an official's decision. Like, if, if you see that happen as official, I'm not going to... If I see that, if I'm an official and I see that, I'm not going to the replay booth. No matter who's bitching and moaning, telling me to review it, review it, review it, I'm not going to review it because I saw who stripped the ball from who. I saw it. It's right, it's right there in front of you. So I'm not going to go review it for 15 minutes to see that, oh, this guy's pinky finger, his, the, his fingertip on his pinky was the last thing to touch the basketball. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. It's it's so dumb and it's so frustrating. As for the actual series itself, uh, it's been really good. The game on Saturday was pretty awful, to be honest. It was 84 to 80. Suns came out with the win to go up 3-1, but it was just tough basketball to watch. Very sloppy play, a lot of missed shots. It, it was pretty gross. And then the next game on Monday was the game that the Clippers won 116-102. to 102. They play Wednesday, so this podcast will be out, and then the Suns and Clippers will play uh, game six on Wednesday night. And to circle back to the Bucks and Hawks, of course, that game is going on. Six minutes left in the third. Atlanta's still up eight, so they're playing really well. It, it seems like a s- slow-scoring game, 62-54. Uh, not a whole lot of offense being had here. So who knows how that turns out. Um, but it's either going to be 3-1 bucks or the series is going to be tied at two. I think whoever wins this series loses to the winner of the Suns and Clippers. I don't really think that's a stretch to say. Um, but Milwaukee is incredibly inconsistent. And if the Hawks somehow manage to upset them, I just think they're really young and they don't really have a 
championship leader on their team. So if they were running someone like Chris Paul and the Suns and then Devin Booker, who this is his first playoff run, but he is, uh, he's, he's got a alpha mentality. So he's a huge leader. Um, and then with the Clippers, Kawhi and, and Paul George, if Kawhi comes back, but who knows? Um, I actually think he'll probably miss the rest of the playoffs. But even the Clippers, I think, take care of the Hawks or the Bucks. It's going to be interesting either way. Um, and we'll see how it shapes up. Like I said, Bucks can go up 3-1 if they manage to get their shit together and make this comeback. Or the Hawks can tie it at 2 for a huge Game 4 win. And then the Suns have a chance to close out the Clippers Wednesday night or tonight if you're listening to this right now. I want to wrap up the show talking about baseball. Uh, I am one week clean of the New York Yankees. And, you know, I, I, have, I had to take a break. Um, it's not that I don't love the Yankees. And, of course, now I'm not watching. They're up 11-5 to in the middle of the seventh. But they have been pissing me off. Um, they have not been playing well this month of June. This month of June really broke me. It got off to a tough start. Uh, splitting with Tampa. They get swept at home by Boston. Uh, they fail to sweep the Twins. They take two of three from the Twins. They lose two straight to the Phillies. One in the first game was a, wa- a final in 10. They got walked off on, and then they lose 7 nothing. They swept the Blue Jays, and I said, hold on a second. This is the middle of the month. Said, wait a second, we have some life. Take two or three from the Athletics. Take two or three from the Royals. And you're like, okay, we got some momentum. And then, of course, they come, they go into Boston and once again just get flat out embarrassed by Boston. The Red Sox are in the lead in the American League East. Tampa's one and a half back, Toronto's six and a half back, and the New York Yankees, just two games above 500, about to enter July, are seven and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox with a minus six run differential. To put that into perspective, Boston is plus 43, Tampa is plus 84, and Toronto is plus 65. The Yankees are minus six. They are... Uh, pretty, pretty lowly. Aaron Judge has had a pretty good year. I'm going to give Aaron Judge's credit where credit is due. He's batting 285, uh, 897 OPS, not terrible. Uh, 17 homers, 40 RBIs, like really not that bad. Giro Shell is having a pretty decent year. LeMayhew has had a really tough stretch. He's only batting 273, a far cry from what he was last year and even the year before that. Urshelo's been fine. Uh he he gives us what we have, what we need. Stanton's been wildly inconsistent on and off. Uh Gary Sanchez has really bumped up his numbers over this past month. He's been very good and he currently sits at 13 homers, 30 RBIs. But he's only still batting because he got off to such a horrendous start. He's still only batting 232. But he does have an 820 OPS, which isn't that much lower than judges. Um, as for everyone else, they've been bad, man. Torres has been dog shit. Frazier has been abysmal. Gardner has been bad. 
Odor is not a suitable replacement. Miguel Andujar, in all honesty, uh, I think should probably be considered an everyday player now. Frazier, I'm uh, I'm pretty much ready to give up on Clint Frazier. We're entering July, and he's batting 186. Gardner's batting 195. Odor's batting 209. Higashioka's batting 198. Like, no one is hitting particularly well. The amount of runners left on base that the Yankees have had this year, I feel like by the end of the year, there has to be a record that's going to be broken for that. Like, they, the, the consistency in which they leave runners in scoring position and on base is so frustrating. And then on top of all of that, you got Garrett Cole going in. He got rocked by the Red Sox. People point to him as one of those foreign substance guys, and that's the reason why he's been so good. Uh, he, he's been shaky. You know, he's had a couple good starts, and then he has, he's had a couple bad starts in between this whole foreign substance issue. Um, so I don't really know what's going on. Maybe he's just learning the pitch without it. Maybe he's, he's just in a slump. But, you know, we paid the guy $300-plus million. So ideally, uh, we paid him. The Yankees paid him and not the spider tack, if he was using that. I don't even know if he was using that. But it, it, it's been... A frustrating when they got swept by Boston, I stopped. I stopped. I, I was like, I can't. I can't watch this. Uh, I actually stopped watching. I, I kind of a part of me gave up when they uh, when they lost that back to back to Philly. I, I had to take a break. So I'm actually a little bit more. I'm like ten days clean of the Yankees. Uh, I didn't watch the series against the Blue Jays, even though they swept the Blue Jays. I didn't watch the series against the Athletics. I didn't watch. I watched one game against the Royals and they lost. Uh, and then I didn't watch the series against Boston at all. I, I I refused. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And honestly, when I wasn't watching it and then I was seeing the the finals pop up on my on my phone, I thought maybe it was me. You know, I, I'm a super superstitious guy. I grew up playing baseball. Baseball players are like that. So I was like, all right, I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna watch, and we'll see how they do. You know. Uh, and things were looking up, but when things look up for the Yankees, they got all the way up to like three and a half games out of first place. They were playing really well. And then the, to get just embarrassed again by Boston, they're 0-6 against Boston this year. 0-6, got swept at the stadium and at Fenway. Like, I, I don't know what you expect, you know? Your pitching's inconsistent. Your lineup is horrible and there are going to be some I, I know it's we're entering July so it's it's I'm I'm allowed to do this baseball has been going on for almost three months or over three months April 1st was opening day was it not so you're three months into the season almost halfway done 80 80 plus games the all-star game is in two weeks so you're halfway through the season and your your lineup is still inconsistent. Guys hit like shit. Your pitching's not good. Your base running is horrendous. Your shortstop isn't a good shortstop. Like I what what more do you have to see from this Yankees team before you look at them and you say this is just not a good squad? 
This is essentially the same team that has been the same conglomerate team that has been together for the past few years. And they've played really well. They've won 100-plus games. Uh, they, they've made playoff runs. This is not a team that's going to do that. And it, it's really upsetting to see. And honestly, I think this is, this is the year that I think Cashman's got to go. And I, I do not say that lightly. I have been a Brian Cashman supporter for over a decade. Well, well over a decade, pretty much since he's come into existence with the Yankees. I, I have been a Brian Cashman supporter. I always trusted him to go out there and get the best guy available, or at least try to get the best guy available, make an offer. And you could say, oh, well, you know, the, the Will Ponds did that with the Mets, but they didn't. They would say, oh, we're interested in this guy, but they would never actually heavily pursue him. When Brian Cashman says they're interested in someone, I do believe him to go out and try and pursue that player, which he normally does. Uh, so I have been a Cashman supporter, but I think it's time to move on. And I don't know if it's Hal Steinbrenner that is giving him a lot of power. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I assume that's, that's the reason. I, I can't say I don't know because I do know, and it is him. Steinbrenner, Hal Steinbrenner has given Brian Cashman pretty much complete control of the team, the roster, the lineup. Like, I'm not even sure Boone has a say in who plays day to day. I think it's Cashman and his bunch of analytical junkies. And that's why you can kind of look at Boone to making some of the decisions he makes. I'm not sure he has complete control of that, of that team. I'd like to give Boone another chance with a different GM. But when you look around Major League Baseball, it's it's hard to find a good GM. Like it's hard to the Yankees are like a billion dollar, multi, multi-billion dollar franchise. So money isn't an object. They in theory, they should be going out and competing and and getting signing guys, trading for guys, and they just they don't do it like they used to. Uh, Garrett Cole was the first major free agent signing that I saw from the Yankees in a long time. Obviously, there was the Giancarlo Stanton trade, which would, at the time, yeah, that was that was great. That hasn't really panned out. Um, if you can get rid of him somehow, that would be great. I know I apologized to him earlier in the year after he went on that hot streak, but now he's just been wildly inconsistent. Boone doesn't know what he's doing with him. Uh, it's just, there doesn't seem to be any sure thing in the Yankees lineup outside of Aaron Judge. At least this year. I still have faith in DJ LeMahieu. I think he's a great ball player and I think he'll be fine. But in terms of like all-star, star-level talent, Judge is the only guy that's there. Gary Sanchez, yeah, he's been on a hot streak. But if you look at how hot he's been this month, he's still only batting two thirty two because he was so lousy the past two months. It's really upsetting to see this. It's really upsetting. Um, and if the Yankees decide to finish under 500 for the first time in like 30 years, I won't be thrilled. I will not be thrilled. Because even 
in the early 2010s, 2013 to like 2016, 2012 to 2016 even, where the Yankees were kind of in limbo and you had guys like Brian Roberts playing second base, um, Russell Martin coming through to be the starting catcher, like fill in guys like that, that era of the New York Yankees, even they still managed to finish above 500. So right now, you're only two games above. There's no certain guarantee that you're going to finish above 500. You're six and a half games out of first place. The All-Star game's coming up. Uh, I, I tell you, the only thing that might be able to salvage this this ending, this wrap-up of the first half of the season is if you go and you sweep the New York Mets. It's the only thing I can see going into the All-Star break to give you some momentum. Sweep your New York rivals. Assert yourself as still the better team in New York. And and see what happens. But as as of right now, I don't have confidence that they can... I have more confidence in the Mets sweeping the Yankees than the Yankees sweeping the Mets. Speaking of, Jacob deGrom, I mean, he's probably going to win MVP, Cy Young, every award under the sun that he possibly can. He's been amazing. The Mets uh, at just 40 and 34 are two and a half games in front of the Nationals for first place. Nationals are 38, 39 and 38. Everyone else is below 500. Atlanta's 37 and 40. Philly's 36 and 40. Miami's 33 and 44. The Giants were the first team to 50 wins. Shockingly. So the Giants are back, I guess. Uh, they are 50 and 28. Los Angeles is 48 and 31. San Diego's 47 and 33. The Central's a mismosh. Uh, you got... Milwaukee at 46 and 33. The Cubs are four back. The Reds are six back. The Cardinals are eight back. They have had a terrible year, even after trading for Nolan Arenado. They find themselves at just 38 and 41. So they've been quite the disappointment so far. AL West, Houston, 48 and 31. The A's are a game and a half back. Everyone else is irrelevant. Trout's still out. The Angels stink. What else is new? White Sox still ahead in the Central. Cleveland two games back, and that's about it. Everyone else is 10-plus back. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I mean, at this rate, the Yankees are not only 7.5 back. I said 6.5 before. 7.5 back of the division, but they're also 6 games back of the second wild card spot because the Rays and the A's have the same record at 47 and 33. So it just really doesn't look good for the Yankees right now. Uh, and I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Like, it's really just been a disappointing year. They got off to a really bad start. And there there was a, a blip, what it, feel, it feels like. It feels like a blip where they might have found their footing and they were going to be okay. But I think that's in the rearview mirror. As for the Mets, I said coming into this month, they were really banged up. And if they can come out of this month 500 or better, that would be a huge victory for them. And would you know it, they've won 14 games this month. They currently leave the, uh, lead the Braves 4-3. to three, So it looks like the Mets might come out exactly at 500 for the month of June. And would you know it, they're getting healthy, 
Uh, DeGrom got a little bit of a scare there, but he's fine. Conforto's back. A bunch of guys are back. McNeil's back. Everyone's coming together now. And the Mets are going, I think, to be okay. So Mets fans, no longer have to worry. Uh, you got the best pitcher in baseball, a great rotation. Stroman's been excellent this year. Had a little bit of a rough start his last time out. But I wouldn't say terrible. Uh, but he's been, overall this year, he's been very good. You'd like the lineup to be a little bit more consistent. Sometimes they'll go two games with like outscoring a run uh, or scoring one run, which isn't great, and you don't love that. But they're more consistent than the Yankees. I know that's not saying much, but they are more consistent than the Yankees, offensively speaking, or just as a team, to be honest. I'll wrap it up with this. I went to go see the new Fast and Furious movie this past weekend. What a ride, man. What a ride. They finally did it. Those crazy sons of bitches finally did it. They went to space. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought it was all just a joke. They made a joke saying, will you guys ever go to space? Ah, who knows? They went to space in Fast 9. They went to space. Unbelievable. Uh, it's definitely not the best uh, out of any of the Fast movies, but we got Vin Diesel versus John Cena. Vin Diesel versus like 50 mer- mercenaries. That was cool. Remember in that, uh, I think it was Fast Five, where Vin Diesel like jumps onto a car windshield like from across a bridge when he catches um, Lenny, or Letty, sorry, Letty, right? Letty, what's the girl's name? Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, He catches her and like slams into his car windshield when he jumps across the bridge. Yeah, he caught like three different people with his car in in this movie. It was so ridiculous. And then on top of that all, they they go to space. Like, it's... The Fast and Furious movies are so great because they're so, like, cheesy and over-the-top and just, like, completely and utterly outrageous that they're fun. When you go into those movies, you sit down, you turn your brain. I went to the Dolby Cinema one, so I got a little reclining leather seat. You turn your brain off and you just enjoy the entertainment. Don't make sense of anything. Don't don't ask why Vin Diesel was able to hook a bridge rope in between his tires and swing his car around and smash into a cliff, flip five times and come out completely unscathed. Don't ask, right? Don't ask. Don't ask how... A car doesn't spontaneously combust while in space. Don't ask. They put tinfoil in it. Don't ask. It works. Like, it, it's just, it's incredible. Like, the, the movie is just so fun to watch. If you, if you haven't given the Fast and Furious movies a chance, literally, like, stop being such a sourpuss. That's all I can describe you as, is you're Debbie Downer, you're a wet blanket, you're a sourpuss. Sit down. The first one is like a legitimately like a good a good action drama movie. Like it's good. I I truly enjoy the very first Fast and Furious movie. Um and it's very grounded as well. Like they really are just like a gang of street racers. That's it. Um and that's what it is for until they reboot the series with The Fast and the Furious. The the movies are pretty tame. 
Uh, they're like action cop movies with Paul Walker and then Vin Diesel as a gang guy. And then when they go to The Fast and the Furious, it gets a little bit more over the top. And then when they introduce The Rock in, I think it's Fast Five, and that's when they end it with uh, them like dragging a safe through the streets of Brazil or whatever, which is my favorite one. Once that movie is over, then they really escalate it. They bring in Jason Statham. The Rock's in it as a thing. Uh, they have all these twists and turns and backstabs and double crosses. And, and it's just, it's, uh, it gets to be a, a real over the top. But the first, you know, Tokyo Drifts is whatever. But Fast and Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious are really just, I think they're just good, entertaining action movies. Uh, again, very grounded. Like, they're just heist gang movies. They're fine. Uh, and then they get over the top, but that's still the fun of it. You know, turn your brain off, enjoy the ride, pun intended, and uh, just be entertained because you will be entertained if you don't try and make sense of what's happening. And just this just in, as I was about to end the podcast, Giannis is ruled out for the remainder of Game 4 with a left knee hyperextension. So. Suddenly, I mean, the Hawks were winning without Trey Young, but now it's even more like I feel like now they have the event. Oh, they're oh they're winning. Their game's over. This game's over. There's uh there's less than ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Hawks are almost up twenty. So even without Trey Young, they come in. Now Giannis is out, but they come in and it looks like they're about to blow the Bucks out and tie the series at two. So that's incredible. What a great win by the Hawks, and if it turns out I wake up tomorrow and the Hawks blew it and the Bucks came back and won, then congratulations to Milwaukee. You see what I did there? I play both sides. That way I always come out on top. Mac from Always Sunny in Philadelphia taught me that one. So whatever the outcome is, it'll, you know, there's only one or two options. We got 3-1 Bucks, but I assume it's going to be 2-2 tied because Atlanta's probably going to win this game. But I'm going to wrap it up right here. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you. Have a fun and safe 4th of July weekend. Be smart. And again, have fun and be safe. I will talk to you guys next Wednesday.